This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Indeed. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're Wonder! talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Thursday, and we're diving into the government bailouts ahead for the aerospace industry. I'm your host, Nick Seipel. Joining me today to break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman. Lou, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you on. You were on the show back in February 27th. Since then, the stock market is now down 12% after this rally the past couple of days. But we entered bear market territory in that interim. What have you been doing as an investor during this kind of crazy volatility? So I, I, I can't, I can't. Th- this is from Twitter, so it may not be true. But I actually just saw we are technically we are up twenty percent in three days. So we are out of bear market territory. So congratulations, we did it. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I've been doing. I think what a lot of people are doing, watching and just trying not to watch too close. We talked last month about sort of trying to separate material impact from permanent impact, and I've it's I've been trying to continue as I look at the stocks. Uh, a lot of the economy is going to get beaten down, and a lot of companies are going to show poor results in 2020. But um, try and look for if, if there isn't permanent damage done, try and weather the storm. Uh, you know, it's easier said than done, but. Yeah, trying to think long term. You mentioned weathering the storm, and that ties into the news today. Late last night, the Senate unanimously approved a $2 trillion emergency relief bill intended to offset some of the financial damage going on from this pandemic. You know, this, this, it's insane how quickly, how quickly this happened, Lou. I mean, have you ever seen anything happen like this before? You've been watching the markets a lot longer than I have. You know, it's funny. It feels both quick and too slow. Yes, it's come together really quickly. But at the same time, parts of this, like the, the checks to consumers, I'd argue they should have been doing that two weeks ago. And, you know, I mean, to, to really stop the damage. But, um, you know, it's the old Winston Churchill line about, you know, America gets it right eventually. And, you know, it, when push comes to shove, there is a need here. It's coming together. It, it's sort of it rhymes with 2008. It's much different. But, um you know, put on the spot, we are finally getting something together and hopefully for the good. Yeah, a lot of stuff to unpack here. And you know, just a design post for our listeners. This, this could be one of our longer shows, just a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, just kind of run through some of the facts and figures from this bill. Uh, $1,200 checks going to all Americans earning $75,000 or less. It's going to be phased out uh, once fo- for folks earning above that threshold. $367 billion in employee retention funds for small business. Uh, $500 billion in corporate rescue funding. And the part that we're going to talk about of that today uh, is, is monies allocated uh, for passenger airlines, $25 billion in loans and certain other guarantees for them, as well as $25 billion in things like grants. There's another uh, provision of the bill that's authorized as $17 billion in assistance for companies deemed crucial for national security. And many observers have signposted that that is likely uh, to ensure assistance for Boeing. So I want to talk about Boeing first uh, before we get into the airlines. This is a company that's been kind of through the ringer uh, in the last year. What was the financial position of this business even before this coronavirus disruption took place? Well, but yeah, Bo- Boeing has been a mess. Uh, the 737 MAX is the first thing that comes to everyone's mind. It was grounded uh, almost uh, more than a year ago now. It was, it was early March 2019 after a pair of fatal accidents. Uh, Boeing is a huge company with plenty of financial resources. Uh, the MAX was going to be a big seller, so this hadn't been a great e- period going into this. 
the issue now is, you know, the MAX was already off the table. Uh, wide body demand, the larger commercial planes, were, sh were that was showing signs of weakness even before that. Now you have airlines grounding 70, 80% of their fleet. And with that, that's going to be A, less demand for spare parts in the near term. And potentially, if this lasts long enough, they're not going to need all those new airplanes. And so this, this is a serious situation for Boeing, a company that was... Eight, in a huge mess already. Yeah, this company it more or less doubled its debt load uh, in 2019. And then most recently, back in December, uh, CEO Dennis Muhlenberg was, was ousted uh, from the company right on Christmas Eve Eve, which is a great time to drop this type of news when you know everybody's getting, getting ready for Christmas. But when you look at this new leadership in place, the issues around the company, I think Congress called them out as a, quote, culture of concealment. Uh, how confident are you in this leadership to navigate these issues ahead? Well, Boeing is a real Jekyll and Hyde company. It's an amazing portfolio, an American powerhouse, but at the same time, yeah, cultural issues. The 737 MAX really exposed a lot of, of just, you know, poor practices in the company. But this is a company, if you go back 20 years, uh, their last big military win on the aviation side was a tanker program that uh, the CFO ended up in jail over that. And that, that program's come in billions over budget. Uh, when they finally delivered a plane, the Air Force had to ground it immediately because there was construction debris left in the plane. This is just a weird company. Uh, Dave Calhoun is new, is new leadership. They definitely needed to replace the CEO. But then again, He's been on the board since 2009, so he has overseen a lot of this. Um, you know, Boeing is still, I, I have no desire to touch it. I didn't have any desire to touch it when all the other stocks weren't on sale. And now there's so much else out there you can buy that you can look at right now. Uh, it's an amazing company, amazing potential, but I just, you know, I, I have no confidence buying it. Yeah, when you look at the duopoly this company is in, it's really hard to see them getting disrupted. But a lot of these cultural issues really give you some concerns. Reminds me some about GE. You know, we heard that the news a couple years ago about all the issues that had built up over time, then all of a sudden uh, the stock collapsed. You mentioned the tanker thing. Uh, you know, my hometown, Mobile, Alabama, originally won that tanker contract. That's uh, right. You know, Air That's uh, Airbus right. originally had won that contract. Boeing pulled some some uh, kind of political strings, and so there's not a lot of uh, goodwill around that company in my hometown uh, either. Uh, you know, hopefully they can navigate this. As you said, this is a really important business. When you look at the state of the business today, you mentioned that the, the sell off um, or the, the issues and the demand for wide body planes. However, uh, this new CEO has said that if the government is part of these bailouts, wants to take equity, they might not even take the money. So are, are they positioned to ride this out, you know, notwithstanding support from the government? That, that comment was another in this long list of just Wow, what's going on there? <laughs> For me, you know, and, and again, with new CEO, but sort of same talk. I think, honestly, they have 15 billion in liquidity. They have a 25 billion in annual sales defense business that, while it's a small part of Boeing, it would rank as the top five defense contractor. You know, that's a company within a company. Boeing has liquidity, Boeing has a runway. I would imagine when those comments were made, you probably heard a silent scream from the supply chain. I, that's what worries me. Uh, you have a second tier that is very reliant on Boeing, that is very reliant on new plane sales, uh, Spirit Aerosystems, Triumph Group. Uh, beneath that, you have uh, their suppliers. And all it really takes, these are very specialized equipment. You know, you, you're, you're building, even if it's just a small screw, it's, it's a screw that is to a technical spec specification. All it takes is one liquidity issue in that supply chain, and the whole thing crumbles quickly. Uh, I, does Boeing need it? I think Boeing could certainly use it. Does Boeing's supply chain need it? And should Boeing's CEO shut up and take it? 
Absolutely. For the long-term good of the business and for, honestly, the defense side, too. A lot of these guys work on defense, too. There's, there's a lot more going on there than, you know, Boeing CEO deciding to flex his muscle in a television interview. Yeah, that's it's just, whether you need it or not, just a really bad look in the context of all the things the company has gone through. And the fact that they, I mean, I think the number called out was they wanted $60 billion in, in assistance. I, come on, if you're, if you're asking for me, the taxpayer, to bail you out, you're going to take just... Take the money, all right. Um, and and it, you call out the suppliers. This is another thing we're seeing across industries right now uh, through this you know, rise of just-in-time inventory. Once some of these factories get closed, it, how long does this kind of bubble out uh, through the system? Even assume that there's no financial difficulties. Once the one of these factories is closed and you disrupt the supply chain, should we? Be, how long till these things can really get back up and running? Is that something we should be thinking about as investors as well? It's it's definitely something to monitor. I mean, it was really interesting to me that you know the defense side of this is much more stable. We're not going to see demand for uh, military platforms fall off the cliff the way we could commercial jets. Uh, but the Pentagon has been, I would say, admirably proactive. They they put out a memo telling their prime suppliers they are actually going to make progress payments ahead of time. They're going to up the percentages with the goal for that liquidity to trickle through the system. Again, the, this is the other side of the same coin. A lot of these suppliers are on ra- razor-thin margins. They have a commercial business and a defense business. If the commercial business is falling off a cliff, it's not in the Pentagon's best interest to see the suppliers you know, wounded or shutting down. Uh, I I mean, the Pentagon, it's good business for them to do that, but I think it also should be taken by the market as a signal that they they saw a reason to do this. Uh, it's hard to say. The liquidity is coming into the system, so I'm, I'm not predicting gloom and doom, but it's certainly something we need to be watching. Yeah. It, all that to say, you know, I think both Lou and I agree, given, given the cultural issues at Boeing, that they were still, you know, in really dire straits when it comes to uh, what was going on with 737 MAX, even leading up to this, even even if the government comes in and bails them out, this is not a company I'm super excited about buying into, given the value across uh, the, the entire rest uh, of the market. Right, right. And that's one last point, and I haven't checked it today, but uh, the, you know they were so highly valued because of that commercial business, as much as they've fallen. And I think, I mean, at, at going into this week, they were down 70% for the year, which is just crazy for a company that size. Um, but even then, they were on a on a multiple that is comparable to some of the other defense companies. It, this is not a company that was on sale necessarily. And yeah, there's, they, they, there's a lot of good aerospace companies that look a lot more attractive right now than they do. Yes. So, so moving on from Boeing to discuss the airlines, who are really the big focus of a lot uh, of this of this legislation. What was the financial condition of these companies before uh, the coronavirus disruption? So this is the part that's the Shakespearean tragedy because uh, this is an industry that, throughout its history since deregulation in the 1970s, has just been a miserable place for investors. Uh, Warren Buffett famously said, uh, "If uh, if if a capitalist had been at Kitty Hawk, he would have shot them down." Uh, that's that kind of sums up investors' feeling on the industry. We've every downturn, we've seen storied names fall from the sky. Uh, whether it's TWA, Braniff, uh, so, Pan Am, so many great companies. Last time around, or post 9-11, they, they all went into bankruptcy. They all did deals. This industry was healthier coming into this than they have ever been before. Uh, American Airlines CEO Doug Parker famously and now regrettably said, I don't know if airlines will ever lose money again. Uh, 
that that quote doesn't look good right now, but there was a reason he said that. This industry came into this ready for a downturn. They didn't come into it ready for revenue to fall to zero, and that's what they got. And so they end up in the same place anyway, even though they did the right things. Yeah, it's tough. You know, you, you look at the airlines, and you know, people say, "Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you develop? You know, have this this rainy day fund uh, for if this takes place?" And, and listen, given the probabilities of something like this happening, that was a risk they were willing to take. And I think a lot of investors thought that was a reasonable risk to take. And then these things happen. Um, and, and you're kind of left sure, holding the back. Sure. And, and, and if you look at the specifics of what some of these are saying and trying to imagine what company in the, in the S&P 500 could take it, uh, Delta predicts uh, second quarter revenue will be down 80% year over year. Uh, United has cut almost 70% of its schedule. Hawaiian Airlines is suspending all but two flights off of the islands. I mean, find me. I mean, yes, the whole economy is hurting right now, but find me a business that has just seen revenue go to zero in the near term and ask me how long. And the question is, how long could any business survive, pay their employees, which, mind you, for now, at least the airlines have continued to pay their employees. Find me an industry that can see revenue go to zero for months and uh, and not be in trouble. This isn't a matter of saving for a rainy day. Right, and you have to think about the operating leverage of this industry, the fixed cost to just maintain your fleet, all those sorts of things. If you don't have revenue coming in the door, it really starts to eat up on you really, really fast when you have the kind of operating leverage these businesses have. Uh, so, one of one of the criticisms that around the airlines and, and them getting. Uh, kind of support from the government has been this number. I think Bloomberg came out with the article saying over the past decade, 96% of free cash flow has been spent on, on buybacks, and that you know the airlines should have should have you know been more prepared for this. So, you know, what 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 are, what are your thoughts on, on the, the kind of those criticisms of the industry? All right. Well, it, it, as much as it pains me, as I said before in an article, as much as it pains me to be the defender of uh, of, of moral hazard and corporate welfare, and it, there is there's some ugly stats here, and it's it's hard to defend some of these practices. But for one thing, you should never set policy based on a tweet, right? And you should never set public policy based on one stat. That 96% of free cash flow number it went into buybacks is accurate. It is also only accurate because industry-wide and is heavily weighed by American, a company that was doing a huge amount of investment in its fleet, which limited its free cash flow, which makes the number look really bad. Uh, you know, United isn't great either. So it's not just I don't want to pick on American. But if you look at a company like Delta, you look at a company like Alaska, their numbers were actually lower as a percentage of free cash flow than the S&P 500 average. I would hate for lawmakers to set a policy or decide on the fate of the industry based on one stat that takes the whole industry and not look at these companies. And uh, while it exposes a problem in the system, this is hardly confined to the airlines. And it, I, it, it, it just it, it makes for bad policy when you when you try and correct long term issues in the moment of a crisis. Yeah, I agree with that. I will say when you look at you know Doug Parker out of American, you know pulling in. It's almost 200 million in stock-based compensation uh, over that time frame. This is the company that did spend more than its free cash flow on buybacks. Uh, when you look at, I mean, all, all I mean, the, the whole industry, 431 uh, billion dollars in buybacks, just makes me, as someone kind of bailing out the, the, this this industry, really conflicted on. You know, we want to protect uh, the employees, but also, I mean, gosh. Should, should these folks be able, be able to pull $200, $200 million out of the company and then get bailed out uh, by the government with any consequences? Uh, I don't know. The other, the other 
uh, thing we think about a, a lot here is, is Warren Buffett is a massive owner uh, of this industry, 10% um, uh, across the board. Um, so, you know, as we come in and, and, say, and save the equity here, we're really kind of bailing out Warren Buffett to a certain extent. To a certain extent, uh, you know, again, nuance, 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 nuance and all these things. Uh, Warren Buffett owns a major stake in all of the big four airlines. They control about 80 percent of the market. So you are correct. For me right now, the bigger worry are some of the airlines Buffett doesn't own, the smaller ones. There's also and I remember this from uh, the TARP program and uh, back in 2008. Part of this is a confidence game. Uh, all of these airlines have billions in unencumbered assets that they can borrow against. The question is, will someone make those loans? Part of what we're trying to do with a bailout is for the government to come in, flex its muscles, say, we're not going to let this industry fail. The counterparty on the other side holding an existing loan or thinking about making a loan is going to be more willing to step in if they believe the government will be there if things get worse. And that is, as far as just yelling, let the private markets handle it, this is a very blunt instrument and a not great way to do it. But in effect, what we're doing is we are clearing the way for more private investment. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of that liquidity backstop. Uh, so if you're if you're someone who's going to loan uh, to this Business, you have some assurance that you'll you'll recoup your investment. So as a result, you know I, I don't even. <laughs> if I was if I was if I was having a loan to these airlines right now, and I was worried they're going to go bankrupt here in a few months, the interest rates that I'd be demanding or the types of covenants I'd be demanding are, are, would just be so prohibitive. Uh, so that so that's been very important. Another another part uh, of the, of this of this bill that has been called out is there they've. Uh, rolled out waivers on fuel and excise taxes through 2020, uh, which which Bernstein analysts came out and said that should save American 1.3 billion dollars in taxes, two dollars and 32 cents a share, a dollar 53 cents a share for Delta, 3.73 a share for United Airlines, and 90 cents a share for Southwest. So that, that that's really. Um, you know, really, also is helping them as well, even even away from from the direct cash infusions. Uh, some of the conditions uh, on accepting these funds have been they'll have to suspend dividends and buybacks through 2021, uh, caps on on CEO pay, that sort of thing. When you look at these these conditions uh, uh, placed on the on these bailout funds, uh, what are your thoughts on those? Sure, just to, to, to back up real quick to the uh, Texas thing because that is interesting. I was just pulling for one company. I think you said two thirty two per share for American that it's a benefit. Yes. Uh, in the last ninety days, Americans' consensus estimate for twenty twenty has gone from a five thirty four per share profit to a three twelve per share loss. Uh, which again, not as to say good or bad, but um, you know that that two thirty two is a huge number. But what we're talking about here is a much bigger number, and that's and that's kind of all of these things, just the context and the yeah buts. But um, but yeah, as for the conditions on the on the bailout, the package, I I think, and this gets to sort of the moral hazard. I I, I think what I've read is appropriate. I I am curious, especially on the equity side of it, if if it's required, because I can see some of these stronger airlines turning it down, honestly, or or at least saying not now. Uh, the, the, the loans make sense. The loans the government get back. It, we forget, but the government actually did really well on TARP way back when. Uh, I, I get the lack of grants. I think the argument for grants would be, in effect, it's an employee stimulus plan because you give us the money, we'll make sure even though we're only flying 30% of our flights, we're not laying off employees. 
Uh, you can go back and forth, but certainly there should be an, some accountability, especially when the loans are in place. I get nervous about permanent stipulations because I, I, it's hypocritical to both say, you guys are a private company, you should use the private markets, and then handcuff them in terms of what they can do relative to other companies. Delta isn't competing for capital with American. Delta is competing for capital against every other company out there. And if Delta has rules either on executives or on their stock or on their repurchases long term, Delta, it is harder for Delta to get private sources of capital. So permanent things, trying to, re, to, to write legislation for one industry when you have a bigger problem, I don't like that. But I don't know how you can say as long as you have these loans, you can't do X, Y, and Z, which is going to capital going elsewhere. I, I, I don't know how you can object to that. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, if I even private lenders when they when they lend to a company, they will put covenants in place that restrict the dividends they can give out and that sort of thing. And you know, the government in this case is the ultimate lender of last resort. And I think you should be able to extract these sorts of terms because that's what a private lender uh, would be able to extract as well. One thing I've thought about here, Lou, and maybe it's a little bit off the beaten path here, is with how quickly. You know the government ha- has rushed in to backstop these industries. If I'm somebody like Warren Buffett and I'm sitting on 120 billion dollars of cash that I can deploy, does this hurt his opportunity to get those those kind of uh, bargain basement deals and to rush in and be you know be the lender of last resort? Given that the, the government has really hopped in and done that role. So we've talked about this and we've we've written about it. I mean, I I, I personally, as a Berkshire shareholder and a sh- shareholder of a couple of airlines, I think I I'm, I'd be shocked if. In, six months, Warren Buffett hasn't done a big deal. I, I wouldn't have guessed going into this year it'd be an airline, but watching them fall, a company like Delta, you know, that's interesting. I I don't know. I mean, Buffett got a great deal on some of those banks when he bailed them out. I don't know if that was great policy either. You know, so, so yes, I think marginally this has hurt the bargain shopping, but I don't know if that's bad policy that, that, even even Warren Buffett can't come in and just grab assets on the cheap. You know that that's something out of It's a Wonderful Life, and we didn't like it when Mr. Potter did that. That's that's true. He's the bad guy in that movie. If if you uh, if you uh, remember well. So as we talk about kind of grabbing assets on the cheap, you know the, these companies potentially receiving bailout funds. You know there's there's two views on that. There's well, you know the government's going to backstop these companies, and so you know the bottom may be in in them, or you know, it signals that there's a rough financial condition and, and, you know, maybe it's just you don't want to borrow trouble buying into these companies. As an investor yourself, Lou, how are you thinking about investing or or maybe avoiding uh, these airline companies? And if so, if you you do want to invest in them, is there any companies that jump out to you as this would be where I would go? Sure, sure. Let's talk about a couple of names really quick. Uh, For one, I don't want to call a bottom. You're right. Uh, Until we know the extent of the pandemic pandemic and and the long-term impact of it, uh, you know, even if the outbreak is over in a month, if we are in a recession, it's going to be hard for these companies to really bounce back until that recession is over. That could be 2021 or something. So we can't call a bottom. We can say that there are seemingly good assets at interesting prices. Uh, the best airlines to buy right now for safety, I think, are Delta and Southwest. If, if, if all the rest of them fail, Delta and Southwest have the balance sheets, have the business to be the last standing. Of the two, I'd favor Delta because it has fallen so much further. Um, another one, if you really want to risk reward, and there's a lot more risk here, but uh, Spirit Airlines. 
is a very small company. It's much more vulnerable, but it's also very well run. And it is what they call an ultra low cost carrier, which basically for these purposes means they can make money at fair levels that most companies can't. If we come out of the pandemic in a recession, the airlines are going to try and stimulate demand with low fares. Uh, that usually doesn't work for corporate travel, but it is usually pretty effective on filling planes with tourists. Uh, Spirit is positioned to make money on lower fares than most of its rivals. So if it gets through this, even in a re recessionary scenario, Spirit has been beaten down and there's a decent, there's a decent investment there. Uh, on the other side of the big airlines, American is clearly the most vulnerable. Uh, they have $25 billion plus in debt. They were in a different part of their life cycle. They were the last one of the big ones to go through bankruptcy. They are just further behind on a lot of things that the others are doing. Uh, I think they will make it. I think they have plenty of liquidity. They have assets. But if there is a vulnerable big airline, it's them. I also worry about Hawaiian. It's a good company. It's well run, but it is a niche operator. It's got huge expenses because all of your flights are Trans-Pacific. There's no little puddle jumpers. Uh, I Again, I don't see them failing, but I do worry about them. And again, uh, Spirit, you know, I, I just spoke well of them, but their uh, EBITDA to debt ratio is something, debt to EBITDA is over 4%, or 4.0, I think. Uh, this is a company that if this is extended or if the bailout doesn't get to the smaller companies, this is a company that could easily get wiped out as well, which is why it's a huge risk reward. Uh, so, so you raised that. So a couple of things I want to call out, uh, since a couple of those tickers are, are ones that aren't intuitive. So uh, Spirit is Save, S-A-V-E. Uh, Southwest is Love, L-U-V. Uh, Delta, D-A-L. American Airlines, A-A-L. So, so just, just so you have the, those tickers. Um, yep. Southwest Love Field. Dallas, Texas. That's where they started. That's a great take. There you go. Um, you, you, Ray, you mentioned the bankruptcy thing, and that, that does kind of raise a question uh, that I've had kind of going back to the bailouts. Why is bankruptcy not the route that we're going this time? You know, GM, we let them go bankrupt in 2008. The airlines have gone through this process uh, many times before. Why, why is the bailout the route that we're choosing now versus kind of letting bankruptcy go out and, and letting that process take its course? This is a great question, and I'll be honest. Ninety percent of the arguments I've had on Twitter over the last few weeks have been about you know why don't some version of why don't we just do a nice orderly bankruptcy like we did with GM, and uh, you know I was covering the autos back then, and I I remember that process a little differently than a nice orderly bankruptcy. Uh, you know, for first and foremost, it wasn't overnight. Uh, General Motors first received money in December of two thousand eight. It was thirteen point four billion dollars for one company alone. And it came from the TARP program, which is another advantage over now where there was a program that was set up. It was very controversial to use it there, but at least there was an instrument in place for the government to use. Uh, GM got another, I think it was $4 billion in April. And then they finally filed for bankruptcy in, uh, in June of 2009, uh, more than six months after that first injection of cash. So in that case, Treasury spent $18 billion on one company to glide it into bankruptcy over six months. Uh, now we're talking eight, maybe more simultaneous processes, which is a lot of bandwidth for the Treasury, even if they have it, on a much tighter time frame. I would argue maybe maybe none of these companies would need the 20 million GM used, but you know, 50 billion would be nothing, would be peanuts compared to what we would spend just to glide these companies into bankruptcy. And then there were, I mean, it, it worked out well, but you know, 
half of what I was writing about with 2009 and 2010 were all of these questions and government control and equity and uh, and all this you know it 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 worked out relatively well it didn't work out so well for Chrysler but Chrysler was a different story but it was it had its own challenges of its own and there were a lot of people just like there's a lot of people complaining about what we're giving to the airlines now there were a lot of people complaining about that too it points to just how hard this is especially if you have to move quick Right. I mean, again, as we said off the top of the show, kind of unprecedented to see an entire industry go from you know, firing on all cylinders, more or less, travel was at all-time highs, to zero in a matter of a, of a couple months. Uh, one other thing, you know, in the context of, and this you may, not, you may not have, I mean, there's no hard and fast answer to this, but it's something I've been thinking about in the context of, of everybody being on lockdown, this rise, and, and folks doing meetings over Zoom, working remotely. Snap your fingers, and the airlines get through this disruption. Uh, a big part of airline travel demand is, is business travel with this kind of continued rise um, and, you know, remote meetings, Zoom meetings, that sort of thing. Should we should we be prepared for airline travel demand to to be less strong, particularly in the, the business travel part of the market coming out of this? I, you know, there's, there's no way to answer this question the way I want to without sounding like an, an, an old Luddite. But um, which, you know, might be accurate. But um, but I, I on the margins, yes. But I've heard a lot of people both amazed at Zoom and frustrated with Zoom. not to pick on Zoom. I think actually I'm very impressed with Zoom. But uh, I th- there is still I mean, I remember 15 years ago, I think it was United Airlines ran an ad campaign that was basically there's still a place for that handshake for the face to face. Uh, on the margins, yes, the world is changing. We do more in email right now than, than we could. You know, and, and, and so there are things that used to require a visit that now are done automatically. I, I would be surprised if this meant the end of, um, of, of corporate travel or, or even a huge divot. And also, as we're growing, as growing into more of a global economy, you know, the more lucrative business, the, the, the global travel, I think, will continue to rise even if, you know, jumps up to New York, do take a hit on this. I would be surprised if that's a long-term, real balance sheet altering legacy of this. But, um, you know, I've been surprised by a lot of things. Yeah, time will tell. And to your point, I think that in-person sales process, it's hard to get past that. The charm charm doesn't work the same way uh, over Zoom uh, as, it, as it does uh, in person. We'll have to see. It's, it's, wor- it's worth calling out uh, that this may not be the end of legislative action when it comes to stimulating the economy, helping these businesses out. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has said, you know, we have some unfinished business and their next bill will lean towards recovery. This current bill is to make it through uh, this situation. So so as we have more information on that, we'll sure be here uh, to cover it. I want to move on uh, to a listener question uh, from Christian. Lou, um, you and I, maybe a year ago, had talked about United Technologies and Christian's question is on that company. He says, I've recently Started listening to the podcast and love the insights everyone gives. It has helped me understand more of the markets as a whole, as well as looking at each industry. He's been wondering about United Technologies. He knows they announced a three-part split of the company, but since he hasn't heard any news, uh, at the time he wrote this, the current price was around $83, down from about $150. United Technologies is now at back up to $102 today with, with the with the market rally. So with, the, with the sudden fall in the market and the potential uh, of the split up, uh, should this be a good company to keep on your radar and start building a position today? Thoughts on that, Lou? 
I like United Technologies. I really do. I mean, the, the issue for them, and as far as we know, it'll still close. They are in the process. They are very close to merging with Raytheon. It's a complex deal. Uh, United Technologies is a cl- conglomerate. They're going to break off Otis Elevator. They're going to break off Carrier HVAC into their own companies and basically merge a commercial aerospace heavy business with Raytheon, which is a defense business. Uh, you know, it's funny. A year ago, everybody on both sides hated this deal because the defense people didn't want commercial and commercial didn't want defense. These This last month, we've seen the value in diversification. I think there is, I, as far as I know, the deal is on and the deal will close in the coming weeks. I like the long term. If I was Christian right now, I don't know if I'd buy in unless I wanted to be an owner of Otis and Carrier too. Uh, you can wait a few weeks because it, those two companies are going to be spun off as, as new stocks for shareholders. And then United Technologies is officially going to buy Raytheon. So if you bought today, you'd end up with shares of those two companies and the new Raytheon Technologies. For me, I want to see how this company post-merger is, and and I might look into buying into it second half of the year if things are going as planned. I don't so much have a desire to own some of those other businesses. It's just not what I'm looking for, so I personally wouldn't. But United Technologies has been a great company. The new Raytheon Technologies, which is what they're going to call it, is a very, very interesting concept and I think could do real well. I just wouldn't pull the trigger today. Yeah, I think I think the aerospace theme more broadly is just massive growth over time, and to your point, bringing together that defense arm uh, of Raytheon with 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 the commercial aerospace part of the business really gives a lot of optionality uh, there for them. I will say, if you're if you're a dividend focused investor, I think Otis uh, could be pretty attractive because they have those really stable revenues uh, from maintenance on, on elevators that's required regulatorily. So so that that kind of helps them. One question I had uh, for you on on Tuesday, Jason and Emily talked about. Dividend aristocrats. United Technologies is a dividend aristocrat. However, uh, with the company getting split up, uh, do you know how that maybe affects their status, or or or, or does it at all? Well, you know, this is, was an interesting rabbit hole to dive down because we're trying to figure it out, and and I this. I, was news to me that uh, this is actually determined by a board at S and P, which I, I wasn't aware of. I knew the term, but I didn't know where it came from. Uh, that's going to be up for them to do, uh, to, to figure out. From what I've seen in past situations, because United Technologies, the aerospace arm, is spinning off the other two units, and they are the they are buying Raytheon, that that heritage, I it appears, if they go as they have in the past, that, that legacy will stay with the aerospace business and become... Raytheon Technologies as a dividend aristocrat. I, I'm i not on that S&P board, so I can't speak for them. I, I, I'd love for them to hit me up because I was trying to find an answer to that if I'm wrong. But uh, it seems like the that Raytheon Technologies will inherit that title. But uh, I agree with you. Both of those businesses, or Carrier, who knows, but, but both Otis and Raytheon Technologies should be a good play, payer. Yeah, I think if, if you're looking for dividend stocks, I think I think each of those uh, solid choices. Um you know, on this bailout stuff, a lot to continue to play out. We'll, we'll be talking about that into the future. I wanted to ask you one other question unrelated to stocks before before we hit the road. We're all working from home now. I know all of us at TMF HQ are. Uh, I know probably tons of our listeners are. You're, you're someone who's been working at home since long uh, before any of this stuff ever happened. Do you have any tips for those of us newly to working at home about how we should handle it? 
Yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I'm. I'm pretty feeling pretty smug right now. I've been <laughs> self quarantining since 2002. So, um, you know, I, I was way ahead of the trend on this. Uh, you know, it's funny because I've, it, the interesting to me has been watching my wife and watching my neighbors and everyone trying to do this. It, I think we're all creatures of habit. We all have our routine, and the routines have all been screwed up. Uh, the best advice I have is just either stay on your routine the best you can if you if that's possible or forge a new one because uh you know that that it's the disruption and what we're used to i think really slows you down there's plenty of distractions at work there's plenty of distractions at home it's just try and stay in the same routine and uh maybe not watch the markets all day but uh, it depends on where it's going but just um you know try and try and be as normal as you can yeah, I, th- I was talking to my fiance this morning. It's kind of like Groundhog's Day around here. You get up and, and you know, rinse, repeat. But, uh, yeah, getting in that routine has been really valuable. I'd say for me, listening to a lot of music really helps me out uh, when, when things are going crazy. Uh, you have any, any music stuff that, uh, that you like to go to in these sorts of times? You see, I'm the opposite. I, I usually listen to music all day, but now i got other people in my house all day, so I can't do <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old, so for me it's normally, uh, you know, 80s alternative rock. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that helps get you through bad days anyway, because a lot of that's somewhat somewhat dark. Yeah, well, you know, we've been talking about airlines and aerospace this whole day, so maybe I'll just turn on some Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone, uh, get 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 in the mood. Lou, thanks as always for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.